Chapter Three of The Wooden Horse by Hugh Walpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three robin's rooms charming as they were with their wide windows opening on to tossing sea and the sharp bend of the gray cliffs stretching to distant horizons suffered from overcrowding his sitting-room with its dark red wallpaper and several good prints framed in dark oak burne jones study for cupid's mask hunt's hireling shepherd and whistler's battersea bridge were the best might have been delightful had he learned to select but at the present stage in his development he hated rejecting anything as long as it reached a certain standard his appreciations were wide and generous and his knowledge was just now too superficial to permit of discerning criticism the room again suffered from a rather effeminate prettiness there were too many essentially trivial knick-knacks some fans silver ornaments a charming little ebony clock and a generous assortment of gay elegantly worked cushions the books too were all in handsome editions meredith in green leather with a gold-worked monogram pater in red half morocco swinburne in light blue with red and gold tooling rich and to some extent unobtrusive but reiterating unmistakably the first impression that the room had given the mark of something superficial robin was there now dressing for dinner he often dressed in his sitting-room because his books were there he liked to open a book for a moment before fitting his studs into his shirt and how charming to read a verse of swinburne before brushing his hair not to mention because of the swinburne but rather because one went down to dinner with a pleasant feeling of culture and education to-night he was in a hurry people had stayed so late for tea it was still the day after his father's arrival that he had to be at the other end of the town by half-past seven what a nuisance going out to dinner was and how he wished he wasn't going to-night the fact that the dinner promised in all probability to afford something of a situation did not as was often the case give him very much satisfaction indeed it was the reverse the situation was going to be extremely unpleasant and there was every likelihood that robin would look a fool robin's education had been a continuous insistence on the importance of superficiality it had been enforced while he was still in the cradle when a desire to kick and fight had been always checked by the quiet reiteration that it was not a thing that a trojan did temper was not a fault of itself but an exhibition of it was simply because self-control was a trojan virtue at his private school he was taught the great code of brushing one's hair and leaving the bottom button of one's waistcoat undone robbery murder rape well they had all played their part in the trojan history but the art of shaking hands and the correct method of snubbing a poor relation if properly acquired covered the crimes of the decalogue it was not that robin either then or afterwards was a snob he thought no more of a duke or a viscount than of a plain commoner but he learnt at once the lesson of us and the others if you were one of the others if there was a hesitation about your aspirates if you wore a tailcoat and brown boots then you were non-existent you simply did not count 
when he left eton for cambridge this code of the quite correct thing advanced beyond the art of perfect manners it extended to literature and politics and in fact everything of any importance he soon discovered what were the things for us to read whom were the painters for us to admire and what were the politics for us to applaud he read pater and swinburne and meredith bernard shaw and galsworthy and joseph conrad and had quite definite ideas about all of them he admired ricketts stage effects and thought sholto douglas's portraits awfully clever and of course max's caricatures were masterly i'm not saying that he did not really admire these things in many things his appreciation was genuine enough but if it should happen that he cared for the christian or god's good man he speedily smothered his admiration and wondered how he could be such a fool to do him justice he never had any doubt that those whose judgment he followed were absolutely right but he followed them blindly often praising books or pictures that he never read or seen because it was the thing to do he read quite clever papers to the gracchi at cambridge but the most successful of all the philosophy of ninepins according to bernard shaw was written before he had either seen or read any of that gentleman's plays he was in fact in great danger of developing into a kind of walking rapid review of other people's judgments and opinions he examined nothing for himself his standard of the things to be attained in the world was fixed and unalterable to have an unalterable standard at twenty-one is to condemn oneself to folly for life and now as he was dressing for dinner two things occupied his mind firstly his father in the second place the situation that he was to face in half an hour's time with regard to his father robin was terribly afraid that he was one of the others he had had his suspicions from the first that violent entry the loud voice and the hearty laugh the bad-fitting clothes and the perpetual chatter at dinner it had all been noisy unusual even a little vulgar but his behaviour at tea that afternoon had grieved robin very much how could he be so rude to the light and leading of fallacy street it could only have been through ignorance it could only have been because he really did not know how truly great the miss ponsonby's were but then to spend all his time with the bethels strange odd couple with the queerest manners and an uncertain history whom fallacy street had decided to cut no robin was very much afraid that his father must be ranked with the others he had not expected very much after all new zealand must be a strange place on all accounts but his father seemed to show no desire to improve he seemed quite happy and contented and scarcely realized apparently the seriousness of his mistakes but after all the question of his father was a very minor affair as compared with the real problem that he must answer that evening robin had met dahlia feverel in the summer of the preceding year at cambridge he had thought her extremely beautiful and very fascinating most of his college friends had ladies whom they adored it was considered quite a thing to do and so robin adored dahlia no one knew anything about the feverels the mother was kept in the background and the father was dead there was really only dahlia 
and when robin was with her he never thought of questioning her as to antecedents of earlier history for two months he loved her passionately chiefly because he saw her very seldom when he went down at the end of the summer term he felt that she was the only thing in the world worth living for he became byronic scowled at aunt claire and treated garrett's cynicism with contempt he wrote letters to her every day full of the deepest sentiments and a great deal of amazingly bad poetry claire wondered what was the matter but asked no questions and was indeed far too firmly convinced of the efficacy of the trojan system to have any fears of mental or moral danger then miss feverel made a mistake she came with her mother to stay at pendragon for the first week robin was blissfully happy then he began to wonder the best people in pendragon would have nothing to do with the feverels aunt claire unaware that they were friends of robin's pronounced them commonly vulgar the mother was more in evidence than she had been at cambridge and robin passed from dislike to horror and from horror to hatred dahlia too seemed to have changed robin had loved her too passionately hitherto to think of the great division but soon he began to wonder there were certain things little unimportant trifles of course that made him rather uneasy he began to have a horrible suspicion that she was one of the others and then once the suspicion was admitted proof after proof came forward to turn it into certainty how horrible and what an escape his visits to the little lodging-house overlooking the sea where dahlia played the piano so enchantingly and mrs feverel a solemn rather menacing figure played silently and mournfully continuous patience were less and less frequent he was determined to break the matter off it haunted his dreams it troubled him all day he was forced to keep his acquaintanceship with them secret and was in perpetual terror lest aunt claire should discover it he had that most depressing of unwished-for possessions a skeleton its cupboard door swung creakingly in the wind and its bones rattled in his ears no the thing must come to an end at once and completely they had invited him to dinner and he had accepted meaning to use the occasion for the contemplated separation he had thought often enough of what he would say words that had served others many times before in similar situations he would refer to their youth the affair should be a midsummer episode pleasant to look back upon when they were both older and married two more worthy partners he would be a brother to her and she should be a sister to him but thank god for his escape he believed that the trojan traditions would carry him through he was not quite sure what she would do cry possibly and remonstrate but it would soon be over and he would be at peace once more he dressed slowly and with his usual care it would be easier to speak with authority if there was no doubt about his appearance he decided to walk and he passed through the gardens into the town his head a buzzing repetition of the words that he meant to say it was a beautiful evening a soft mist hid the moon's sharper outline but she shone a vague circlet of light through a little fleet of fleecy white cloud 
although it was early in september some of the trees were beginning to change their dark green into faint gold and the sharp outline of their leaves stood out against the grey pearl light of the sky as he passed into the principal street of pendragon robin drew his coat closer about him like some ancient conspirator he had no wish to be stopped by an inquisitive friend his destination demanded secrecy soon the lights and asphalt of the high street gave place to dark twisting paths and cobbled stones these obscure and narrow ways were rather pathetic survivals of the old pendragon at night they had an almost sinister appearance the lamps were at very long intervals and the old houses leaned over the road with a certain crazy picturesqueness that was at the same time exceedingly dangerous there were few lights in the windows and very few pedestrians in the cobbles the muffled roar of the sea sounded close at hand and indeed it sprang upon you quite magnificently at a turn of the road to-night it scarcely moved a ripple as the waves licked the sand a gentle rustle as of trees in the wind when the pebbles were dragged back with the tide that was all it seemed strangely mysterious under the misty uncertain light of the moon the houses facing the sea loomed up darkly against the horizon a black contrast with the grey of sea and sky it was number four where the feverels lived there was a light in the upper window and someone was playing the piano robin hesitated for some minutes before ringing the bell when it had rung he heard the piano stop for a few seconds there was no sound then there were steps in the passage and the door was opened by the very dowdy little maid of all work whose hands were always dirty and whose eyes were always red as though with perpetual weeping with what different eyes he saw the house now on his first visit the sun had dazzled his eyes there had been flowers in the drawing-room and she had come to meet him in some charming dress he had stood enraptured at the foot of the stairs deeming it paradise now the lamp in the hall flared with the wind from the door and he was acutely conscious of a large rent in the dirty faded carpet the house was perfectly still it might have been a place of ghosts with the moon shining mistily through the window on the stairs and the strange insistent murmur of the sea beating mysteriously through the closed doors there was no one in the drawing-room and its appalling bad taste struck him as it had never done before how could he have been blind to it the glaring yellow carpet the bright purple lampshades the gilt looking-glass over the fireplace and above all dusty drooping paper flowers in bright china vases ranged in a row by the window of course it might be merely the lodgings lodgings always were like that but to live with them for months to attempt no change to leave the flowers and the terrible oil painting lost in the snow an obvious british public appeal to a pathos that simply shrieked at you with its hideous colours and very material snowstorm no robin could only repeat once more what an escape but had he after all escaped he was not quite sure as he stood by the window waiting it might be difficult and he was unmistakably nervous dahlia closed the door and stood there for a moment before coming forward robin at last and she held out both hands to him 
they were the same words that his aunt had used to his father last night and he remembered foolishly and at once they seemed strained false ridiculous he took her hand and said something about being in time then as she seemed to expect it he bent down and kissed her she was pretty in a rather obvious way if there had been less artificiality there would have been more charm of middle height she was slim and dark and her hair parted in the middle fell in waves over her temples she affected a rather simple aesthetic manner that suited her dark eyes and rather pale complexion you said that she was intense until you knew her to-night she wore a rather pretty dress of some dark brown stuff cut low at the neck and with her long white arms bare she had obviously taken a good deal of trouble this evening and had undoubtedly succeeded and so sir robert has deigned to come and see his humble dependence at last she said laughing a whole fortnight robin and you've not been near us i'm dreadfully sorry he said but i've really been too terribly busy the governor coming home and one thing and another he felt gauche and awkward the consciousness of what he must say after dinner weighed on him heavily he could hardly believe that there had ever been a time when he had talked eagerly passionately he cursed himself for a fool yes we've been very lonely and you're a naughty boy said dahlia but now you are here i won't scold you if you promise to tell me everything you've done since last time oh done said robin vaguely i really don't know uh, the usual sort of thing i suppose uh, not much to do in pendragon at any time she had been looking at him curiously while he was speaking now she suddenly changed her voice i've been so lonely without you dear she said speaking almost in a whisper i fancied of course it was silly of me that perhaps there was someone else that you were getting a little tired of me i was very unhappy i nearly wrote but i was afraid that well someone might see it letters are always dangerous but it's very lonely here all day with only mother if you could have come a little oftener dear it means everything to me her voice was a little husky as though tears were not far away and she spoke in little short sentences she seemed to find it hard to say the words robin suddenly felt a brute how could he ever tell her of what was in his mind if it was really so much to her he could never leave her not at once like that he must do it gradually she was sitting by him on the sofa and looked rather delightful she had the pathetic expression that always attracted him and he felt very sorry indeed how blank her days would be without him part of the romance had always been his role of king cofetua and tears sprang to his eyes as he thought of the poor beggar-maid alone forlornly weeping when he had finally withdrawn his presence i think it is partly the sea she said putting her hand gently on his sleeve when one is sitting quite alone here in the evening with nothing to do and no one to talk to one hears it so plainly it is almost frightening you know robin old boy i don't care for pendragon very much i only came here because of you and now if you never come to see us she stopped with a little catch in her voice her hand fastened on his sleeve their heads were very close together and her hair almost brushed his cheek he really was an awful brute 
but at the same time it was rather nice that she should care so much it would be terrible for her when he told her what was in his mind she might even get very ill he had read of broken hearts often enough and she was extraordinarily nice just now he didn't want to hurt her but still a fellow must think of his career his future and that sort of thing mrs feverel entered ponderous solemn dressed in a black silk that trails behind her in funereal folds her hands were clammy to the touch and her voice was a deep bass she said very little but sat down silently by the window forming as she always did a dark and extremely solid background robin hated and feared her there was something sinister in her silence something ominous in her perpetual black he had never heard her laugh dahlia was laughing now i am a selfish brute bobby she said to bother you with my silly little complaints when we want to be cheerful we'll have a good time this evening won't we we'll sing some of those rubenstein's duets after dinner and i've got a new song that i've been learning especially for you and then there's your father i do want to hear all about him so much he must be so interesting coming from new zealand mother and i saw a gentleman in the town this morning that we thought must be him tall and brown with a light brown moustache and a dark blue suit it must be splendid to have a father again after twenty years without him her voice dropped a little as though to refer gently to her own fatherless condition mrs feverel a dark shadow in the window sighed heavily oh the governor said robin a little irritably no it's uh, rather difficult he doesn't seem to know what to do and say i suppose it's being in new zealand so long it makes it rather difficult for me he spoke as one suffering under an unjust accusation it was a bad luck and he wondered vaguely why dahlia had been so interested why should she care unless and the idea struck him with horror she already regarded him as a prospective father-in-law dinner was announced by the grimy little maid robin took the dark figure of mrs feverel on his arm and made some hesitating remark about the weather but he had the curious and unpleasant sensation of her seeing through him most thoroughly and clearly he felt ridiculously like a captive and his doubts as to his immediate escape increased the gaudy drawing-room the dingy stairs the gas hissing in the hall had been in all conscience depressing enough but now this heavy mute ominous woman trailing her black robe so funereally behind her seemed to his excited fancy some implacable frankenstein created by his own thrice cursed folly the dinner was not a success the food was bad but that robin had expected as he faced the depression of it he was more than ever determined to end it conclusively that evening but mrs feverel's gloom and dahlia's little attempts at coquettish gaiety frightened him the conversation supported mainly by dahlia fell into terrible lapses and the attempts to start it again had the unhappy air of desperate remedies doomed to failure dahlia's pathetic glances failed of their intent robin was too deeply engaged in his own gloomy reflections to notice them but her eyes filled with tears and at last her efforts ceased and a horrible gloomy silence 
fell like a choking fog upon them will you smoke robin she said when at last the dessert in the shape of some melancholy oranges and one very attenuated banana was on the table egyptian or turkish or will you have a pipe he took a cigarette clumsily from the box and his fingers trembled as he lit first hers and then his own he was so terribly afraid of cutting a ridiculous figure he sat down again and beat a tattoo on the tablecloth mrs feverel with some grimly muttered excuse left the room she watched him a moment from the other side of the table and then she came over to him she bent over his chair leaning her hands on his shoulders robin what is it she said what's happened nothing uh, he said gloomily it's all right oh do you suppose i haven't seen she bent closer to him and pressed her cheek against his robin old boy you're not getting tired of me you're tired or cross to-night i i don't know i've been very patient all this time waiting for you hoping that you would come longing for you and you never came all these many weeks then i thought that oh, perhaps you were too busy or were afraid of people talking but at last there was to be to-night and i've looked forward to it oh so much and now you're like this she was nearly crying and there was that miserable little catch in her voice he did feel an awful cad he hadn't thought that she would really care so much as this but still it had to be done some time and this seemed a very good opportunity he cleared his throat and beating the carpet with his foot tried to speak with dignity as well as feeling but he only succeeded in being patronizing you know he said quickly and without daring to look at her one's had time to think i don't mean that i'm sorry it's all been as it has we've had a ripping time but i'm not sure one can't be certain that it's best for it to go on quite like this you see old girl it's so damn serious of course my people have ideas about my marrying of course the trojans have always had to be careful people expected of them he stopped for a moment you mean that i'm not good enough she had stepped back from his chair and was standing with her back to the wall he got up from his chair and turned round and faced her leaning with his hands on the table but he could not face her for long his eyes dropped before the fury in hers uh, no no oh, yeah, how stupid of you of course it's not that it's really quite unkind of you to make it harder for me it's difficult enough to explain you're good enough for anyone but i'm not quite sure dear whether we'd be quite the people to marry we'd be splendid friends of course we'll always be that but we're both very young and after all it's rather hard for one to know it was splendid at cambridge but i don't think we quite realized you mean you didn't she broke in quickly i know well enough someone's been speaking to you robin no uh, nobody he looked at her fiercely she had hurt his pride as if i'd be weak enough to let that make any difference no one has said a word only only you've been thinking that we're not quite good enough for you that we'd soil your trojan carpets and chairs that we'd stain your trojan relations ah i know i and then she broke down altogether she was kneeling by the table with her head in her arms sobbing as though her heart would break 
oh i say dahlia don't i can't bear to see you cry it will be all right old girl to-morrow it will really and and then you will see that it was wiser you will thank me for speaking about it of course we'll always be good friends i robin you don't mean it you can't she had risen from her knees and now stood by him timidly with one hand on his arm you have forgotten all those splendid times at cambridge don't you remember that evening on the backs just you and i alone when there was that man singing on the other side of the water when you said that we would be like that always together oh robin dear it can't have been all nothing to you she looked very charming with her eyes a little wet and her hair a little dishevelled but his resolution must not weaken now that he had progressed so far he must not go back but he put his arm round her really old girl it is better for both of us we can wait perhaps in a few years time it will seem different again we can think about it then i don't want to seem selfish but you must think about me a little you must see how hard it has been for me to say this and that it has only been with the greatest difficulty that i've been strong enough believe me dear it is harder for me than it is for you much harder he was really getting on very well he had had no idea that he would do it so nicely poor girl it was hard luck perhaps he had led her to expect rather too much those letters of his had been rather too warm a little indiscreet but no doubt she would marry some excellent man of her own class in a few years she would look back and wonder how she had ever had the fortune to know so intimately a man of robin's rank meanwhile the scene had better end as soon as possible she had let him keep his arm round her waist and now she suddenly leant back and looked up in his face robin darling she whispered you can't mean it not that we should part like this why think of the times that we've had the splendid glorious times and all that we're going to have think of all that you've said to me over and over again she crept closer to him you love me really dear all the same it's only that someone's been talking to you and telling you that it's foolish but that mustn't make any difference we're strong enough to face all the world you know that you said you were in the summer and i'm sure that you are now wait till to-morrow dear and you'll see it all differently i tell you nobody's been talking he said drawing his arm away besides if they did it wouldn't make any difference no dahlia it's got to stop we're too young to know and besides it would be absurd anyway i know it's bad luck on you perhaps i said rather too much in the summer but of course we'll always be good friends i know you'll see it as i do in a little time we've both been indiscreet and it's better to draw back now than later really it is do you mean it robin she stood facing him with her hands clenched her face was white and her eyes were blazing with fury yes of course he said i think it's time this ended not before i've told you what i think of you she cried you're a thief and a coward you've stolen a girl's love and then you're afraid to face the world you're afraid of what people will say if you don't love me you're tied to me over and over again you've made me promises you made me love you and now when your summer amusement is over you fling me aside you and your fine relations 
oh you gentlemen it would be a good thing for the world if we were rid of the whole lot of you you coward you coward he was taken aback by her fury i say dahlia he stammered it's, it's unfair oh yes she broke in unfair of course to you but nothing to me nothing to me that you stole my love robbed me of it like a common thief pretended to love me promised to marry me and now now oh unfair yes always for the man never for the girl she doesn't count she doesn't matter at all break her heart and fling it away and nobody minds it's as good as a play she burst into tears and stood with her head in her hands sobbing as though her heart would break it was a most distressing scene really really dahlia said robin feeling extremely uncomfortable it was such a very good thing he thought that none of his friends could see him it's no use your taking it like this i had better go we can't do any good by talking about it now to-morrow when we can look at it calmly it will seem different he moved to the door but she made another attempt and put her hand timidly on his arm to stop him no no robin i didn't mean what i said not like that i didn't know what i was saying oh i love you dear i love you i can't let you go like that you don't know what it means to me you are taking everything from me when you rob a girl of her love of her heart you leave her nothing if you go now i don't care what happens to me death or worse that's how you make a bad woman robin taking her love from her and then letting her go you are taking her soul but he placed her gently aside nonsense dahlia he said you are excited to-night you exaggerate you will meet a man much worthier than myself and then you will see that i was right he opened the door and was gone she sat down at the table she heard him open and shut the hall door and then his steps echoed down the street and at last there was silence she sat at the table with her head bent her eyes gazing at the oranges and the bananas the house was perfectly silent and her very heart seemed to have ceased to beat of course she did not realize it it seemed to her still as though he would come back in a moment and put his arms round her and tell her that it was all a game just to see if she had really cared but the silence of the street and the house was terrible it choked her and she pulled at her frock to loosen the tightness about her throat it was so cruel of him to have gone away like that but of course he would come back only why was that cold misery at her heart why did she feel as if someone had placed a hand on her and drawn all her life away and left her with no emotion or feeling only a dull blank despair like a cold fog through which no sun shone for she was beginning to realize it slowly he had gone away after telling her brutally frankly that he was tired of her that he had indeed never really cared for her that was it he had never cared for her all those things that he had promised in the summer had been false words without any meaning all that idol had been hollow a sham and she had made it the centre of her world she got up from the table and swayed a little as she stood she pressed her hands against her forehead as though she would drive into her brain the fact that there would be no one now no one at all it was all a lie a lie a lie 
the door opened softly and mrs feverel stole in dahlia what has he done she looked at her as though she could not see her oh nothing she said slowly he did nothing only it's all over there's not going to be any more and then as though the full realization of it had only just been borne in upon her she sat down at the table again and burst into passionate crying mrs feverel watched her i knew it was coming my dear weeks ago you know i told you only you wouldn't listen lord it was plain enough he's only been playing the same game as all the rest of them dahlia dried her eyes fiercely i'm a fool to make so much of it she said i wasn't good enough he said not good enough his people wouldn't like it and the rest oh i've been a fool a fool her mood changed to anger again even now she did not grasp it fully but he had insulted her he had flung back in her face all that she had given him injured pride was at work now and for a moment she hated him so that she could have killed him gladly had he been there but it was no good she could not think about it clearly she was tired terribly tired i'm tired to death mother she said i can't think to-night she stumbled a little as she turned to the door at least said mrs feverel there are the letters but dahlia had scarcely heard the letters she said that he wrote in the summer you have them safe enough but the girl did not reply she only climbed heavily up the dark stairs End of chapter three